Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. This is the podcast where I have a conversation with guests from the architectural community and beyond to talk about the coevolution of architecture and technology. Today, I welcome the co-founders of ArcIT, Boris Rappaport and Alex Osinenko. Boris is the CEO and Alex is head of growth. ArcIT is dedicated to supporting the unique IT needs of architecture, design, and engineering businesses. In this special partner episode, we build upon the business of architecture thread here on the podcast. The topic today is mergers and acquisitions, also known as M&A. Boris, Alex, and I discuss the importance of planning and communication in the process of acquiring or being acquired by another company the need for continuity and quality in service delivery, the importance of involving people from various internal teams in the transition, their three-step process for transitioning the acquired company's brand, and more. Please visit getarchit.com to learn more about their services. That's G-E-T-A-R-C-H-I-T.com. Boris and Alex are both stand-up guys who care about quality, proactive IT service, and I'm happy to call them my friends. Anyway, I hope you learned something new today. I know I did. And now without further ado, I bring you Boris Rappaport and Alex Osinenko. Boris, Alex, welcome back to the podcast. Great to see you guys again. Evan, it's a pleasure. Always a pleasure here. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Um, thank you. So we're talking about M&A, mergers and acquisitions. We're talking about strategy. We're talking about kind of the real world application, the nuts and bolts side of that as well, what it's actually like to go through that in a firm and what leaders should be paying attention to from the strategy all the way down uh, so that everybody's kind of included in that process. And there's there's been a series of topics on this show about the business of architecture. And I should say the business of AEC, because this is wider than just an architectural audience. And ArcIT, you guys obviously ser service uh, architects and engineers, small to mid-sized firms. And so this is a great topic because it's, first of all, I think it's surprising maybe to hear it on this podcast. Um, but in this vein of uh, the business of architecture, this is an important topic that people should at least have in their brains as something to kind of be thinking about, but also uh, this is a, a, a very strategic topic when it comes to building a business. And the tech side of that is a piece of that. And so I, I'm excited to have this conversation with you guys today when we're talking about mergers and acquisitions and opportunities and strategies. And so I guess the first question that I'll start off with is why even consider M&A? Why grow? Because that's, I think, what people think about when they think about M&A is like they're going to get bigger and they're going to acquire maybe a portfolio. Maybe they're going to acquire talent. Maybe they're going to acquire clients. And obviously that sounds great, but but maybe you can get deeper into the subject of why, why consider do, using this as a strategy for growth. Let me take this one, Evan. So uh, firstly, as ArcIT, we serve architecture firms, uh, engineer design firms. We, we are like strictly in AAC industry. And so we can speak to this because, number one, uh, we went through the M&A process ourselves. In fact, we're going through it. We're uh, towards the back end of the implementation right now. And we're not a big company. So m my kind of idea was to help 
uh, companies understand uh, even smaller companies can grow through acquisition. And why even do that, right? Well, there are multiple reasons for doing that. One of them, I think the most important one for me and Boris, and it's always been the case throughout my career, is to provide opportunity and growth to your best team members, to mm. talent. So talent uh, growth is the key because if you're stuck in the same place doing the same thing and you're growing organically, which is fine, um, the opportunities are tiny. So your, your best people, your best people will, uh, will look elsewhere. Mm. Um, and, and that's, that's to me is always the, is, is to provide runway for our best team members and also attract the best talent. So, so number, number one, number two, you can get the best talent via acquisition. In fact, one of the criteria you should use or companies should use is what sort of talent level are you bringing on board? Because that could be as much value as, as the revenue or more. You know, I, you know, Evan, you heard the term aqua hire, right? Mm -hmm. um, very, very popular in Silicon Valley. Um, but, you know, we're not talking about that right now. But the idea is that you buy companies just so you can get the talent. Okay. And that's not untrue for both um, architecture companies, AAC companies, IT companies, what have you. Finally, what we've done throughout our uh, business here at ArcIT, we actually, so not only we're going through the process ourselves and gone through the process in the past in my career multiple times, but we're also helping our customers go through these M&A processes mm. from a technology standpoint. And this is where Boris shines. I mean, he's like operational genius and IT genius at the same time. And so I will let him speak to the challenge, uh, and as I called the pre-show, you know, how do you make implementation? How do you go from a dumpster fire into a control burn? It's not <laughs> going to be pleasant, but it can be absolutely um, a controlled process where everyone wins. Well, most people, most of us who want to win, let's put it this way. So, Evan, I said my piece. Feel free to poke at. Well, Boris, I would love to hear what you think, wh wh where your brain was going when Alex was talking about that stuff, because like he said, you're the implementation side. It, so so there's the, the, str the strategy, there's kind of this rainbows and unicorns uh, <clears throat> outlook, right? The vision of what the, the M&A is going to deliver for your company. And that vision is what people buy into. But then there's like, how do we actually do it? What do we actually do on the implementation side? And maybe we'll just start at the high level. You've probably seen lots of scenarios, like really great implementation versus like just the Wild West, like Alex said, the dumpster fire version, right? So what what have you seen in the 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 gradient of you know different types of implementation or lack of implementation strategy over the years? Well, uh, I think in order to make it a more of a control burn, like the leadership really needs to be intimately involved uh, to provide direction and planning uh, or help with planning and uh, understanding of what kind of the end game is and um, also making sure that the people that are, the talent that is coming aboard from another company and also your uh, own employees feel like this is a win-win for everybody, right? Because look, it's a major change. Even, you know, for our small company, it was a major change. It still is a major change. And people always get, you know, scared mm -hmm. um, when change is coming. So mm -hmm. I think initially the message uh, from the leadership needs to be, um, you know, that it's going to be a win. I think Alex hit on some of those points, right? Like you mm -hmm. will have more opportunity because we are bringing a newer clients, more work, and also bringing in other people to where 
uh, the organization will probably need to change, reorganize a little bit. So you will have more opportunities for kind of managing um, additional people, for example, right? Mm -hmm. so let me just add one thing. We did we did have a plan. So this is, this is Boris and I, we sat down, we'd spend days on our strategic planning once a year, and then we had obviously specific planning sessions to the to this M&A because we grew by 50% essentially. Mm. That's not nothing. Right. Um, and and we mapped everything out as far as potential roles and we don't know who we're buying and their talent, but we kind of know. We interviewed them, obviously. We have an idea. And so far, I think people are fitting right where we kind of initially thought they would as far as their skill level and their, uh, let's say, uh, work ethic and abil uh, you know, ability and whatnot. But um, to Boris's point, the plan is the key, and then share that plan. I think transparency, and I'm going to talk about transparency all throughout this conversation, mm -hmm. but transparency with your team members and transparency with team members on the M&A side, because I've seen some real bad situations where the owners of, of a company that's being acquired hold and you know, make it a secret for way too long. I mean, there's, there's sense of, and we can talk about a lot about communication there, because communication is really key, but transparency is you have to bite the bullet and be able to explain to your team. And then that usually where things start falling apart. Uh, mm. Yeah. People just afraid to admit that there's a, a M and a process happening. They don't have a real good plan. The company that's acquiring is not communicating uh, what the vision is uh, to both their employees and the company that's being acquired employees, all those, all those pieces just instantly start falling apart. So Boris's point on leadership needs to have a plan and very clear plan and share it with the team is, is I think the first step and a key step. That doesn't happen. Everything else we're going to talk about is is sort of almost irrelevant. Mm. Well, Boris, you, you mentioned leadership being a key component here and surprising people at the last minute is not a great way to communicate transparently about what's going on. And that leads to fear. Obviously, if it could be seen by the workforce as a weakness, we're being acquired. If they're the acquirees uh, versus the acquirers, they could be seen as, oh, we must be in trouble. Uh, and so this firm is coming to save us. Or, or maybe they're going to take over our company and get rid of us. And so there's a lot of different scenarios that people's minds automatically race to. And so early, clear communication with a solid strategy behind it is a, a huge part of this going smoothly. And strong leadership and having thought through all of these different puzzle pieces before that communication, that early communication even begins is, is super important, right? Yeah. And I mean... Timeline of this is also important because, for example, you know, our process and we're still on the tails to land with, I mean, it's, it's been going on for about a year now, right? Mm. So initially when we just started having the talk, uh, even when it was just, you know, negotiating with the other side, you know, we're already communicated to our internal team that, you know, we're looking at this company. This is what we know. This is what we think is going to happen. Here's our plan everything is successfully going to happen. So my guys were asking me like every couple of months, it's like, when are, you know, when is this new company coming? Like they were excited the about that. Yeah, so, right. and that's what Alex is talking about in terms of transparency and kind of planning for it is we want to make sure that as soon as the leadership has that idea and 
you know, I'm, I run my business more as not necessarily as a democracy, but I like to listen to what I, you know, um, our team is saying and take their input on a lot of, and hopefully mm -hmm. implement everything that they want. Not always, right? Cause sometimes, you know, there's conflicts things, but yeah. So basically bringing that message out and hearing what people have to say and listening to their, um, you know, fears and their thoughts about it. I think that was a very, you know, very big win for us in terms of then closing the merger and, uh, making sure everybody's on board. Alex, what are some other motivators for considering doing M&A? Because you talked about growing the talent or the opportunities for the talent in the company, but there's obviously a lot of other reasons why M&A would be, would be thought about. Yeah. Growing the talent, I think that's like you got to anchor that as number one because your product delivery, your service quality, um, your output, that's how your company is judged is by what you produce, not how good of a culture you have. That's all internal. That's great. Um, but at the end of the day, your customer is the, will make the ultimate vote with their checkbook. Mm. And if you're able to deliver um, and deliver better, and part of this, when people focus, the other one is the strategy focus. Let's say you're an architecture company that does just strictly residential. Maybe you do, I don't know, high-end residential. But, but you're thinking to go into uh, a different vertical, a slightly different vertical, then you, acquisition is the best way to get into it because mm. you get you acquire the knowledge and the industry sort of um, history and, and, and all of the company knowledge uh, from a firm who, who's in the vertical you want to acquire. Sure. That's one, that's one big, another big win. Um, but maybe you don't want to. So you have to be really, really choosy now if you're buying a company, if you want to buy a company that's in same as high-end residential, that's fine. That will just grow your portfolio more horizontally rather than, I'm sorry, more vertically and horizontally. You want to go to different things. So this is sure. the strategy. The company strategy is, is key here. Of course, the other thing is uh, I'm going to talk to like founders and partners. Like, look, um, you know, is, is it, you want the business be all about you? And that's fine. It, you know, that can be. Um, I am... You know, and I hear a lot of other business owners looking to build something beyond themselves, right? Looking to build um, maybe potentially a business that the next generation wants to take over. And it's not something, you know, usually you can't really attract your son, daughter, or, you know, whoever, you know, working 90 hours a week, mm -hmm. you know, and if everything right. goes through you and you're a micromanager. Right. We talked about that a lot on this podcast. I mean, that's the kind of thing where when you think about leadership in the industry or at the firm level, how are you modeling a future that somebody wants to be a part of is a, is a big piece of that for sure. Exactly. And so just think about your, I'm thinking about my daughters, you know, they're, they're nine and 12. Do they want to work a small little business that, that, that hasn't done anything for 50 years or 20 years, 15 years where everything depends on, on me? No, they're, they're absolutely looking to explore the universe of opportunities. Um, and I want to provide them with an opportunity they don't have to take over from me, but I'd like to give them the opportunity to take over. And that means an interesting growing business with lots of moving parts and lots of opportunities for them to grow into the leadership position, not just assume it. Um, mm -hmm. So th that's nothing. Um, and I like this lead versus toil. So, you know, if you want to lead, you got to grow organic. And acquisition, both good ways to grow. Um, you know, combined, it's 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 truly powerful. Um, 
you can do one or the other and, and focus on those and still do okay. But together, you're good. And, and finally, I'd say generational wealth, Evan. That's, you know, people don't think about that. I have a 50-year plan for where I'm going with this. I'm not in a, any hurry. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I want to build something because for generations. I, I do. It doesn't need to be something like, you know, fantastic, uh, you know, billion-dollar trust fund. But I do want to pass on some some security to my my immediate family as well as to the wife. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those are those are the motivations that typically go after. So people, uh, opportunity, strategic opportunity, and then obviously building a business that can survive you goes beyond you, uh, and that's building generational wealth and opportunity for the next gen. Boris, do you have anything to add to that as the founder of Arc IT and just thinking about like the vision that you present to your employees or maybe even how that's potentially changed over the years that led up to this M&A that you guys did, the the ideas I'm sure have shifted over time and, and the things that Alex was just speaking about regarding kind of setting a, a bigger vision. I mean, one thing about business is it's always changing. And I think that the fear that we were talking about earlier comes in because people get comfortable with the way things are. And we like to do we like to do things the way that we've done them because we know how to do it. We know how to deliver it. We know what the timelines are like. And then there's this new injection, this new opportunity coming, and that leads to to some fear because things are changing. But I think at the strategic level, at the leadership level, you also recognize that business is always changing. And it's your job to guide that process and to bring people along and to build consensus on the team. How has that changed over the years as the the founder of Arc IT for you? So this is our first acquisition. And I don't know if I would have thought about the idea. You know, Alex wasn't that instrumental in kind of ingraining the idea uh, in me. Mm. So uh, props to him for that. Um, but I can definitely see that uh, from a simple of where we want to go with the company uh, and, the, you know, the 10-year 10, 10 vision that, uh, you know, I had initially and then Alex kind of joined in on, uh, it would be much more difficult to grow organically to that and probably even impossible. So other avenues have to, has to be explored um, and, um, you know, growing through acquisition is is one of those. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's a very successful avenue going through one um, ourselves right now, um, I definitely can see where um, you, you take, you know, you can kind of shortcut some of the things that may take longer when you're just trying to grow organic. Uh, with that mm -hmm. comes its own challenges, right? Like you take the shortcut, but then you bring on more people, processes break. So there's a lot of uh, all of those other things that have to be planned out and considered. And kind of everybody has to adjust at that point, right? It's like, squeezing more pegs into the into the bucket it's just like everybody has to adjust everybody has to get used to the new adjacent pieces and so there's a lot of uh, I, there is an adjustment period but it's also I, one way that I've thought about this is just getting comfortable being uncomfortable and and taking on the challenges of growth or new th new things that are happening is a constant and so I think that's that to me is a constant message from leadership that should be going out is is that you it it's important to be nimble. It's important to be adaptable. And and that by by putting those opportunities in, in play in your business kind of helps people do that, even if they're not necessarily uh, open to doing that just on their own all the time.
I have a question, Evan. Do you work out? Yeah, I do. I, I rock climb and I mountain bike. That, that's my, my fitness. <laughs> that's great. I do martial arts and all kinds of other things. Boris, uh, I know, does a lot of walking. So we work out to keep our bodies, what, healthy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, mobile. Mobile, uh, yeah. <laughs> to keep our mental, right? Hopefully mental energy, uh, you know, recharged, all that good stuff. Organizational fitness. Mm. It's the same thing. If your company does not work out, um, if you don't put it through, I mean, the, yes, there are challenges. You may get IRS audit. That's not a workout. That's a colonoscopy, gentlemen. <laughs> uh, this is workout is is growth. Um, this is where uh, you exercise opportunities. You exercise your team, your resiliency, your uh, you you build your policies and processes. You break them. You rebuild them because as organization moves, mm -hmm. it's not it's not like um, you know, you have 10 people, then you have 30. It's a different organization. So so processes need to be adopted. But hopefully you have that fitness where where this is interesting, exciting. And the right people typically join the organization that works out. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, I just wanted to insert that piece. And this is the ultimate. So so an M&A is, is the result of, of your organization's fitness, mm. right? I, I, are you able to run that marathon? Like, have you trained enough? Or are you just bit something that you're going to choke on? And and that's the piece that I think um, is important. And I think we need all need to look at the health of our organizations and the fitness before we go go buy other companies. But it's a terrific opportunity in on so many levels. Yeah. And even I wanted to emphasize this, Evan. Even smaller companies can do it. We're not a huge company. Mm. We are um, you know 12, fifteen person, twelve person company um, that that made this this acquisition. So it's not. Uh, I want to stress this. It's not just for large, large giant companies out there mm -hmm. um, because we can talk about this later. There's a way to finance this through the rep of the company you're acquiring. And that's magical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a perfect segue. I think we should start to talk about how and and the kind of the the different things like you just mentioned about financing. And, and because I think it's one thing to just talk about the idea of mergers and acquisitions and, and what that may do for a business, how it may be able to be used as leverage for clients or portfolios or talent or all of those things. So I think one thing that we're definitely seeing in AEC is that big companies are getting bigger and small companies are staying small and the middle is kind of going away. And so this gives an opportunity for strategic growth for important reasons, right? If, if you decide to go down this path, it's going to be an investment for sure. But it also has really great potential outcomes if you have a good strategy and you've got the right leadership in place and you're transparent and communicative. But let's talk about what actually is needed to go down these paths or maybe what some different options are to go down the path of M&A. I'd like to start with the financing, with the money piece. I think we can talk about how to find acquisition afterwards. I think I need to pe put people's minds in ease here because I originally, you know, back in, when I was just starting um, getting into this from my other businesses, I, 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 you know, my idea was I have to save up, you know, six hundred thousand mm -hmm. um, dollars to even, you know, be in the play. Right. Um, but reality is, uh, there are wonderful organizations that support. Uh, business growth. And one of them is Small Business Administration, SBA. Mm. You know, yeah, you can say that bureaucracy, they're this, they're that. And, and trust me, Boris and I were athletes 
jump into hoops. I, I mean, bet. they have hoops with fire around them, Red rings, tape. and unbelievable. Like, I'll tell you one or two stories later on if we have to. It's just, it's just unreal. But now that's fine. It's all fitness, right? Him and I are both better after this. Point is, you put ten percent down, and that's all you're required mm. if you approve for the SBA loan for the rest. Now, there's two ways to do this. So let's say a smaller, we're talking about smaller company, right? Smaller company buying another smaller company. Um, let's say the price is, let's say it's 600,000 or, or 750,000. So all you have to come up with is 75,000, which is 10% um, from your own cash. And then the rest can be financed in two ways. Evan, first way is getting the SBA loan, which a lot of times is good because it's a 10 year loan. So they have a like a very specific loan product just for uh, the, the specific for the M&A. Okay. And it's a 10-year loan product and the interest rate is pegged against the LIBOR. Uh, right now, it's not very good. Right now, it's not very good because the interest rates are up. But right. I, when right. you listen, if you listen in 2025, hopefully, you know, our um, the r rates have come down and it's a lot more attractive now. But yes, um, it, it's it's a smaller payment. It's a 10-year loan. So it's it's it kind of affordable. The, uh, the second way to finance it or a combination is to sell or carry. Let me explain what seller carry is. You can actually have the owners of the business you're acquiring carry the note, meaning that you can negotiate the interest rate and the period of time they're going to carry the note. So let me take take back an example. You put seventy five thousand down. In fact, you have to. If you don't even get involved SBA, which sometimes is better, you can hundred percent finance it if the owner agrees, which most owners won't. But you can hundred percent financed through owner carry, meaning the owner of the business that is selling to you is willing to carry the note. So you say, okay, $750,000, I'm going to carry it for five years at 6% interest rate and, you know, do the math and that's your monthly. Um, a lot of times with seller carry, you want to, uh, the seller wants to see more cash from you. It's not, you know, they're not really willing to risk their company on right. your say-so. Right. So typically, you know, it's half and half, seller will carry half. It depends. Um, sometimes, you know, companies are know each other very well and they'll agree. The big advantage for the company who's selling is the tax advantage. Because if they get all of the 750000 at once, it's going to be a massive tax bill. It's just going to, boom, chop your legs off um, from under you. And, you know, you think you're getting seven fifty, you're getting like three three fifty. Yeah, right. Budget. Yeah. Um, but when you finance it, it's... the, the Talk to your CPA. Uh, it, it it's a much better, hmm. uh, it's a bit bigger win. So you get you know seven to twenty, fifteen thousand dollars a month every month for five years, ten years plus, whatever the negotiation is. So um, those are the two ways to finance it. Uh, you put small down payment, go with SBA. You put small down or larger down payment, go with seller carry or do a combination. We've done a combination. We put money down. We had an SBA loan and we had a seller carry. So we had a trifecta. We went through all the hoops. <laughs> Achievement unlocked. You did yes. all the things. <laughs> you got a little badge. Right. Twitter verified. Right. Twitter. <laughs> you can now long tweet about this, about how, how you did this. So so let's talk about, you know, some of the the how this adds leverage to small companies. So you you got you said, Alex, that you are a small company, you acquired another small company. It could have probably gone the other way too, but you're, you're the ones with the vision. So you're leading this, you're then finding some businesses that potentially you could acquire, you hone in on one and you start this negotiation. But before, cause I do want to talk about how you actually do that. 
uh, how you find companies to buy uh, who are open to this. Uh, maybe all companies are for sale. I don't know. Maybe not. But the the idea of of le- using that as leverage uh, because this changes the business plan, right? If you all of a sudden grow by fifty to a hundred percent through an acquisition, that changes the way you approach business. I think it at least in in increases your opportunities in different ways. Boris, maybe do you have some ideas in there that you can share, or not ideas, do you have examples in there that you can share of ways that ArcIT leveraged an M&A and how it might have changed how you do business? That's actually interesting. All right, let me think about that. Alex, can you, do you have any ideas? Yeah, I was gonna save you with this yeah. one. Um, but. Uh, so, so first Wait, of let all, me, let me let me let me change it from Boris to Alex. So, Alex, do you have examples of ways that this has changed ArcIT's business plan, your outlook, and and how you go about your day to day operations? Uh, first, I'd like to challenge you just for one second sure. on the change of the business plan. Plan never changed. We planned for this eventuality. Mm. We had, in fact, we had a fork. Right, we had a fork. We say, okay, when when we do an annual planning session, we spend two days in you know remote location, undisclosed, <laughs> and then <laughs> we, we just focus on planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then the, the, there's a fork, right? Here's what happens if we do this, yeah. and here's what happens if we don't. Right. Um, so the, I wouldn't say the business business plan has shifted. Absolutely, the business has yeah. shifted. Right. Uh, but to give you specific examples, well, um, first of all, we are um, bringing in like engineering talent that we didn't have before. Someone who can step in, and this was big goal for us, a big, big opportunity. Someone who can step in and do what Boris does, strategic consulting, uh, you know, doing CIO uh, services. We do, you know, virtual CIO. We can do quarterly meetings with a lot of clients. So we're not just, you know, changing computers and and and, and re- rebooting their uh, servers. Mm-hmm. Um it it's actually changes your, what you offer out there. I mean, it, it actually increases your value to your clients. Right. Well, so this is the thing. The value stays the well, the value stays the same because that's how we approach every single client is right. with tender love and care. Right. But what it is is who delivers that value. So mm-hmm. Boris has more time to work on the business. Mm-hmm. This is key. This is where people this is where people fall apart because you take a lot of like Boris is a very, very talented guy from operational perspective, but he doesn't get to play in operations because he's busy yeah. delivering those CIO th- uh, meetings and strategy meetings right. with clients because he's the only one in the work that can yeah, do it. Yeah, I, I frame this as going from working in the business to working on the business, right? And that that is a huge, that is a big shift. And there are a lot of people who don't want to let go of the the driving wheel. They don't want to stop doing the thing that they're so good at that they built their career on. There's those types. And then there's the ones who can and want to do those bigger strategic moves and and affect more of the industry. And and it's a different role, right? And and there are people who are built for that and there are others who aren't. But it, it does allow you by taking on this talent, what you're saying, Alex, is that by by taking on these people who can then fulfill the working in the business part so that you can let go of the, the driver's wheel and work on the business is an important kind of strategy to to actualize in your business to take it further. For us, this was one of the most important things. Okay. So we got a top level engineer 
that we thought, and I think is is, is coming out as the case, uh, he can replace and deliver quality, again, high-level service to our clients to be the escalation point so boys can work on the business. Yes, mm. that is that was a big piece for us. But also, we got a portfolio of architecture clients. Like we, we didn't buy a company um, that that served sort of plumbers and mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and grocery stores and, and car dealerships. Mm-hmm. We <laughs> and this is why. So we can talk about how to find those acquisitions. Our field was so narrow. Like we only would want to buy another IT company who served architects. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't. First of all, there hardly any exist. Uh, second of all, you know, how do you know they're for sale? You know, and then yeah, anyway, so. But for us, it was strictly, strictly strategic from a um, from that perspective because now we have more architecture and we we like let's be honest, other clients clients we acquired knew about us. Um, some of them mm-hmm. knew about us. Mm-hmm. We had good relationships with them, but they were happy with their IT service. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to switch. Mm-hmm. So for us, and, and you know, for us, it was it was a lot more difficult. It's a lot more difficult to get clients because. Even if you're unhappy with your IT customer, um, you, you just get you're just gonna suffer mm. because right. you have you think it's kind fitness? of that, you have debt there, and and it's like harder to take on something completely new than to just continue to suffer with the existing. Or you think oh, yeah. everybody it, is it, that way, right? Like the other common misconception is like, well, this is just the way it is. I'm just you know, it's IT guys, right? Right. right. Yeah, it's IT guys. It, you know, suffering is uh, uh you know part of the pro. Um, it's not. I just want to throw it out there. But let's get back to the to the conversation. Um, so those two big advantages. Uh, the third, I was, I'm going to say, I'm going to round this out, Evan. The third one is um, most, like, however you can say, like, I'm a marketing guy. I've, I've done marketing, uh, you know, digital marketing. I have a digital marketing company. I just want to preface this mm-hmm. um, to the people. Like, I have debt. Um, but to be honest with you, most of our growth is what? Referrals. Mm-hmm. It's, we're building an ecosystem of awareness in our chosen industry, which is architects, that we are out there, ladies and gentlemen, who help you out. You know, here's all the help we do. We do podcasts, we do AIA sponsorships, blah, blah, blah. We do all that. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, most of our business, and Boris, maybe just say yay and nay, came from referrals, and we just just doubled our referral network. I made a point. I know you made a you, point. I didn't know like if I should continue, but no, I was absolutely right. right. Uh, yeah. Basically, an acquisition and more clients expanded the network of. You have more mm-hmm. clients, you deliver the services to them, you'll have more referrals, right? So you basically yeah. exponentially just grew your referral net. Yeah. So, so Alex, let's get into how you find companies to buy. You said you're in a, you're in a niche. You are, it's, there aren't that many companies operating in this realm. And so maybe easier for you, maybe not. I would love for you to kind of tell the story about how you can find companies to buy who are, you know, aligned at some level with what your goals are. Well, I think you need, you as a business leader or owner or whatever partner, need to have an idea of what, what is it that you're looking for. Um, in other words, like a perfect client profile uh, is something that's needed for marketing. A perfect, you know, M&A profile is something that's needed for this. Like, if you don't think about this and don't write about this and don't talk about this, it's not going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. It's very simple. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to having a plan, right? Like, we have written this down 
probably three years ago initially on our business plan that we're going to pursue growth to acquisition. We actually talked to a few people uh, just to see what's out there, right? But as Alex said, it was very difficult to find somebody that fits, uh, you know, that has our clients, right? Like that also serve mm -hmm. the architecture industry. Mm -hmm. So really, like with this particular acquisition, we kind of lucked into it because they found us. But as soon as we got that email, we were like, oh, look, like, cause we already talked about it, right? We, we saw the opportunity right away. If, if we've never talked about this before, I'd probably send that email to junk and never look at it again. <laughs> True. I mean, I, how many people out there, uh, respond to a recruiter's email when they are looking versus when they are not looking, right? It's like all of the ones when they're not looking just get deleted they or they just get passed by but when you're looking all of a sudden it's like oh what's this this is the best email i've got all day right and so to to your point i think it that mindset it, you you've got to put it into the plan so that your subconscious is working on it because then the when the opportunities present themselves in your case like they found you it's like let the light bulb goes off immediately and you can respond immediately to it rather than like, oh, maybe some that goes in the maybe someday or the end of the junk mail. Let me put some framework around this. There's framework. So there's subconscious. Absolutely. You know, you think about like a, you know, a yellow Corvette, you know, then you're gonna uh, buying a yellow Corvette, you're yeah. going to see them everywhere. Right. Right. That's true. Right. right. Um, selective. Right. It's just it's just our mind does selective because um, we can't focus on everything. So we focus on something. And this is one of those things. But there's framework. Like this isn't this is this wasn't just a fluke. Right. Here's what happened. We blog about architecture. We have a podcast about architecture. Uh, IT IT support for architecture. Mm -hmm. And we 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 go to conferences. We speak at webinars. Um, we everywhere. So when you type in architecture, IT architecture in Google, ArcIT is there. Well, so what what happened? Well, what happened was the company. The, the two founders were retiring or they're looking to do something else or retire. One was going to stay, one was going to retire, whatever the case is. But they really cared about their clients. Mm -hmm. Like to them, and this was one of the cases like, you know, um, where where my clients go is more important to me than me potentially more favorable terms. I'm not kidding. Mm -hmm. The owners had really, really deep relationships with their clients. Mm -hmm. And we were one of the three firms they reached out and none of the other two focused on architects. Mm. And so for us, as soon as we picked up the conversation, the fit was established because mm. they realized that we are so deep in this industry. We are committed. We're not really serving anybody else, nor we have um, any interest to acquire them. Yeah, um, it, it happens. We have other businesses in our portfolio because of friendships and relationships and other things. We can serve other co other companies, but we don't, we don't actively pursue that. And we prefer to stick, in fact, we focus to stick with architecture firms. Mm -hmm. And so they knew that. And this is what got a foot in the door, and this is where conversation started. And and they uh, instantly saw that we were super receptive, and then we uh, we, we we actually disclosed them that hey, this this is part of our plan. Mm -hmm. um, you guys come in at a great time. You know we are capable and interested of doing this. And now let's talk. Had you guys done other work to prepare for this opportunity? In in other words, did you? look into all of the different i mean and alex you have some some experience with this so maybe maybe the, by default the answer is yes here but 
in in terms of the SBA loans and understanding the different ways in which you could finance these kinds of opportunities should they should they come up or if you had found them yourself it seems like you kind of have to have your ducks in a row to then actually make it happen and so you're right it's not just like throwing it out there on a on a whiteboard somewhere and just saying yeah we're interested in doing this but it's actually once you say that you can then reverse engineer that back and come up with the various steps that you need to have in place to be prepared for that thing to happen. Otherwise, uh, they're not going to take you seriously if, if that were the, the case. Um, the information is out there. I belong to the group, and I'll, and I'll pull the book. We'll get bored, so I'm, on the next answer, I'll pull the book from my shelf and, and show it to everybody. But you read a book, you know, you follow the author, you know the subject. Mm-hmm. So, Boris, let's talk about the negotiation process. So, you once you find a fit, uh, where do you go from there? As Alex can go find find that book, but the the idea of negotiation is, I mean, it's not an idea. Like this is a process. This is something you have to be ready for, right? It's not going to be just what what do you want? Perfect. It's not going to fit like that, right? So, tell tell me what it's like to what you look at when you're looking at the negotiation process of an M&A project? Well, um, our negotiation process, I'll preface it by saying it was a little longer than what I would have expected initially. Because, mm. um, you know, it was a smaller acquisition, so, but there were, you know, we wanted to make sure, I guess, when you're negotiating and just like also like leading a team of people, I think it's, it's very important to make sure that you are providing win-win scenarios for both parties, right? So, uh, just like I would with my team, you know, if, if they approach me and, you know, ask for some different job duties or something else, um, you know, I would try to make sure that it's both a win-win for the business and win for the business and a win for them. So similarly sure. in this negotiation, I always look at the other side and try to understand what, what would constitute a win for them and see how we can make it work. To also not, right, to also um, have our business be successful as well. Yeah. You find a book, Alex? No, I'm working on it. Okay. So the thing is, <laughs> I've, uh, um, I've, uh, I've spent, so when I'm in the mindset of training or preparing for something, this could be, could be a, a health related uh, kick or, or fitness related kick, or I'm preparing for like a, belt exam, uh, martial arts, whatever the case is, I get deep into a particular subject and I do my research and I go like deep. And then what I do is I purge. Once I accomplish the goal, and this just happens to me, I don't really like, Yeah. I, I retain the concepts and right. I'm terrible at retaining the actual, like, um, I don't, I'm no longer part of those groups. Like I, 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 you moved I on. migrate over to my next venture interest uh yeah. kick, well, so to speak like you said earlier there's only so much room in the brain for for the things that there's room for and there's not not room for everything right so that, that totally speaks to that yeah we can continue the conversation i'm i'll you know we'll, we'll link the book to in the show notes and and there's a wonderful facebook group that's private group uh people can join in this you know this one resource, and then everything the outcome from that resource, because the book cites a lot of uh, different things, white papers people can read. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's it 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 just does a, a justice to specifically smaller to mid-sized companies acquiring other companies. 
you know, large giant M&A deals, you know, BlackRock, whatever, family family offices, all those things are, are you know, they have lawyers, they have uh, their own um, M&A people, they have analysts and all that stuff. We don't have any of them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a smaller company. So you need to arm yourself with knowledge, but it's not complicated. It's a lot of fun, actually. Um, and uh, the one thing, the other thing I do is I spend time I had, have an email from multiple companies that offer businesses for sale. This is advice, actually. Um, like biz buy sell. You can go in. You, I mean, it's possible that you'll find your next potential acquisition there, but not necessary. Best companies are not listed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, best companies come to an understanding that they need to sell for whatever reason. And a lot of times they will reach out to you. Now we go back to conversation how to find they, they will reach out to other companies who are potentially uh, acquirers mm-hmm. who are talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk more about how to be that potential company. But at the end of the day, if if you're looking, you put yourself in a position to get that phone call, get that notification, get that email, and then go from like we did. Mm-hmm. But you have to talk about it. And another thing I, was, I was just want to mention is you have to flex your um, memberships in organizations you're in. And maybe we can talk about more about this later, but if you're in AIA, you have to talk about this to your friends and partners. Like, hey, you know, we're looking to acquire. This is who we're looking to acquire. We're potentially, you know, we're not looking hard, but we're open. Do you know it? I think that's hard for a lot of architects who, that these business things, they like to keep it in behind closed doors. They don't want to let everybody know what their strategies are because competition is so fierce. Like it is, it is ingrained into every architecture student they're, who's competing against their entire class from their very first design studio. And that doesn't change once they get into the profession, professional practice, delivering projects, going after work. It's a fierce competition. And so a lot of those concepts are held close to their vest. And so I think what you're presenting right now goes contrary to how architects have been trained to think, which is like, this is we need to keep this to ourselves. We can't tell people the word's going to get out. Their pe- our clients are going to get worried about what we might be going through. Our our staff is definitely going to be worried about about it. The the fear that we talked about early. So I mean, do you have any practical kind of comebacks or pushback on on that kind of thinking that is pervasive in our industry? Mm. Has um, anything extraordinary? Does extraordinary things, which is M&A is extraordinary. Does it happen to ordinary companies and, or people who stay within, with, with strictly within the guidelines? So let me just remind people. First of all, you're not breaking any rules. I'm not saying, you know, break an NDA, mm-hmm. non-disclosure agreement, mm-hmm. and yammer about this potential acquisition to the market and then lose the deal and get sued. Don't do that. Shaking your finger. Um, no. <laughs> finger wagging for those who are listening. Right. Do not do that. Uh, but I think it's 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 like why, why is it taboo? I, I don't understand this. And you can be still respectful of of this of the competition and all those things, and still and and still talk about it, um, and still have conversations privately or at the round table at dinners. Like, hey, you know, have you ever bought a company? Or do you know this person's buying a company? What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. There's 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 definitely ways to do this. I wouldn't be afraid of, of this at all. I was in the property management industry in the past. Um, you know, spent 12 years building a company and then selling it in that industry. And guess what? Same thing. 
it used to be like, oh, it's it used to be just, oh, it's not some, we talk about it. It's not some, and, and, and but, but guess what's happening right now? There's a huge consolidation. Yeah, right. Okay. That industry is going through unbelievable uh, consolidation. A lot of uh, VC and uh, VC backed uh, players are coming in and gobbling a lot of companies. Mm -hmm. Now, now the smaller companies, you know, bending together um, to to withstand the fee pressure, mm -hmm. to with, withstand the competition from all these. V I don't know. Is that happening in architecture uh, yet? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I was speaking earlier. Big big companies are getting bigger. Small companies are staying small, and the middle size are going away. Why? Because the big companies are sucking them up like the vacuum that they are. Mm -hmm. And and they have a plan, and they're doing it. And guess what? Um, you could too. Yeah. Um. It, it and but or you can not talk about it. Right. And just be, you know, and just be 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 quiet about it, and and have all the plans in the world. But unless you vocal and you are put those plans out there and share it with your team. And colleagues and organizations you belong Your to. Your network, yeah, I, right. I think you're not going to get the opportunity. Maybe you get luck. Right. I want to add something to that because I mean, yes, architecture may be competitive, but so is IT services, right? Like we have mm -hmm. 1,500 companies just here in the Bay Area, you know, serving everybody. Um, and initially, when I you know founded the business, I kind of had that same mindset. It's like, well, I can't. What if somebody finds out, like how we price things? Like Alex was always mm -hmm. hey, we price transparency. We got to put pricing on our website. Like, yeah, but you know, everybody's honestly, it's probably the best thing that happened to us in terms of like putting pricing on the website and all the other stuff that we're doing in terms of content and kind of sharing our processes and how we do things and our secret sauce, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. And not worrying about that others can copy because in reality, A, if they could copy, they would already be doing it. B, they're probably already doing it, or C, they don't even, you know, they don't care because they have their own way of doing it and they're not going to change, right? So, right. and all of those can go together and like, really, there's no, unless you have some secretive IP, right, where you're developing some secretive technology for NASA or something else, there's really no kind of need of keeping a lot of your business stuff a secret. Obviously, certain things have to stay confidential, but outside of mm. that your kind of mm -hmm. generic plan, there shouldn't be a problem with sharing. During the M&A process, I'm sure that there are different motivations uh, from the acquiree uh, and probably for the acquirer as well. So talk about transparency with what people want to get out of this deal, maybe how those things relate. Uh, how do you find out what is important and then start to address? Is that is that all part of alignment? Or is that not as important when it comes to alignment of, of what kinds of companies you're looking to acquire? Because like I said, there's going to be different motivations. Some people are going to want cash out of the deal. Some people are looking for, you know, a retirement versus the next step in their business. And so maybe you can talk about some of those different um, importances when it comes to what people are looking to get out of a deal like this. Um, I'll take this. First of all, it's buy then build, and and I just feel absolutely ashamed because this book changed the way I think mm. about uh, growth and added a dimension uh, that that I think will will get me to to my fifty year plan. Let's say my I have a personal fifty year plan. Mm. Um, it's going to be achieved through through work uh, and businesses, but 
the end of the day, that's that's the ticket. So buy them, build, but Walker Dibel, he's got a Facebook group. Uh, just read the book first. It's like t- it's whatever twenty bucks, uh, best twenty dollars you'll spend. I, I I'm I'm just he's he's such a, a great author, and he's got a lot of experience in this, and he explains everything to normal people. Like, mm. um, it's not it's not you don't need to decode it. All right, well, everything is spelled out. We'll put a link um, to that and, in the show notes. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Yep, and so go back to motivations. That's what you need to find first. As an acquirer, you need to understand what the owners, owner partners of the other company are going through, through multiple conversations, interviews, uh, research. Uh, You need to become the analyst. You need to become the interviewer. You need to look at their podcasts. If they're out there on the web somewhere, listen to them, understand them. So what they say is kind of what you what your research shows mm-hmm. because I'm not going to talk about unscrupulous people, but th- it does happen. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you know, first of all, you need to like you need to be sure if there there's a big lawsuit or something else going on, you need to know about. It. But that that's rare. Um, a lot of times, it's they're moving on. Like I'm just tired of this. Like I'm I'm on to my next business. I'm on next idea, um, and and you know. They could be older, younger people. It doesn't matter. They're on to the next thing. They want, they want to make sure their employees are taken care of, their customers are taken care of, but they're, they really just want to get out. So speed sometimes is more important to them. Mm. Um, a lot of times is money. Um, they're in a financial bind, right? They're a financial situation. They need to cash out quickly. Uh, could be health. Could be who knows what. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times is retirement. Most of the times will be retirement. People retiring. Retiring people have different motivations. Uh, they're not in a hurry to sell this thing. They're not, they're not like they want to get, find the right buyer. They are willing to carry the note because it's, it tax wise, it's a lot more advantageous to them. Um, those are great businesses to buy. Um, anything that's moving fast, I uh, would question. It, again, took us a year from mm. that email to uh, you know to to semi finished implementation. So I'd say about eight months to close the deal. Yeah. Eight to nine months. Okay. So that's the timeline we all should expect. I think it's normal. Well, tell me about this idea of a clawback clause. What does that mean? This is something I've learned. Um, Walker, does he have it in his book? Uh, This is from my previous experience. So the clawback clause, I don't know if it's as relevant for architecture companies. Here's why. Um, Does architecture companies have recurring revenue or do they? In a way, you have recurring clients. There are some architecture companies who offer architecture as a product. In that case, they may or may not. But I think pretty much it's it's dollars for services. And so I wouldn't really ever count that as recurring revenue. Yeah. So then the claw by clause does not really apply. This is for, uh, this is for services uh, like IT, like property management, where there's recurrent revenue in play. Mm-hmm. And if you lose clients, so you're buying that recurrent revenue stream. But if like you know, fifty percent of the clients leave, mm. you know, what what did you just buy? Right, right. And and so I I, I think it's less relevant for the architecture, okay. um, the engineering design space where it's it's one off contracts, repeat clients, yes, but you can't commit them to servicing with you. Okay. Let's let's uh, let's start to wrap up here and talk about maybe like the final and this this can go on for as long as it it needs to take. There's no no time expectation here because I think this is probably where I 
may have the most to add to the conversation regarding integration. So like there's like closing the deal of the M&A and then there's the actual integration. And this goes back to where we started the conversation. Like have there's the big strategy, there's the big vision, but then there's also the the nuts and bolts integration part and that can go really well. It can go horribly wrong, right? <laughs> when it comes to because it if you're take especially in architecture, I think a lot of firms operate in a wild west kind of like you're always putting out fires, you're always working on deadline and it's it's like just go 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 constant. And so um infusing new people, new processes and workflows into that, maybe even servicing new clients on an ongoing basis that aren't used to the way that you do things. If you're the acquirer, I could see how, you know, there's, there's a lot of integration challenges here. So, um, there's a branding cohesiveness that needs to happen. There's messaging out to all of the clients about what's going on and how things will continue. And there's a lot of different kind of moving parts here. And really uh, people are going to see this as the beginning of the 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 next steps rather than the end of the M&A process right that's it's kind of where it, where it all begins for a lot of people so talk through closing and integration and and rebranding and transitioning and leadership and i mean there's a lot we could talk about here so again like no constraints on time but i this is kind of where the rubber meets the road well i'm going to start this but boris i want you to take this uh to take this to more uh, granular level. Um, entrepreneurs solve problems, right? Problems mean something failed and it needs fixing, needs rethinking, needs reimagining, needs rework. If it's not for you, don't do it. Because yes, you're running already uh, fast and hitting deadlines. But I'll be honest with you, like if if that's a normal state of business, mm-hmm. um, why would you want to double that? Right, right. Good point. Good point. You go to a doctor um, with a heart attack. Um, God forbid. Um, I'm just saying, like, like okay, the house needs to be in order. Mm-hmm. Step one, you know, one dumpster fire. You know, you add another one, and it's not going to be all of a sudden, you know, a, a pleasant cafe. Um, you know, it's it's just going to be the same. So, so I want to say this: you know, you know, be okay to solve problems. We always fail. Businesses, it's okay to have, it's okay to have a failure, a constant failure rate in the business because that's what I call fitness, right? When you're constantly fixing problems, it's not okay to run around and absolutely go from a big fire to the big fire, burning through people, getting things out, and thinking acquisition is going to solve it. I don't think so. Mm. Even I don't care how strategic it is. I don't care how much talent you find. They're going to take one look at what you got and quit. So unless you make it attractive for them to work in your organization, mm-hmm. I think that's, we go back to the square. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen an example just, just to build on what you just said about quitting. Like, I think for, I've heard stories about firms who have purchased firms and it didn't go well. And then in the, the next one, they put in a clause into people's contracts where they'll get a bonus if they stay with the company for a couple of years, for example. And then as soon as they get that bonus and that couple of years is up, they're gone, right? And so it was like a Band-Aid. It was just a temporary patch. It didn't actually work to solve 
the integration issues that we're talking about. And I think from an IT standpoint, and this is kind of where I dovetail into this conversation here, working on digital practice and, and mergers and acquisitions and people using softwares and workflows and standards that are differing. It's, it's all pieces of the puzzle that are very important. And something you said early on, Boris, was that leadership needs to acknowledge all of these various puzzle pieces, all of the moving parts, and help the leaders of those pieces of the company come together to solve this problem for the bigger business case and, and actually ensure that that can happen in a, in a smooth way, that they first acknowledge it, but then actually help accomplish those goals. And, and don't just say, you know, that's not something we care about. All we care about is the big strategy. They have to care about those little pieces too. Can you talk about some of those as far as the integration of, I mean, let's just talk about it from a technology standpoint. This There's obvious differences in the way people use technology, their adoption of technology. Maybe they've got great habits. Maybe they've got bad habits. Maybe they've got standards. Maybe they don't, right? Maybe everybody has their own standards that's coming over. And so that becomes kind of a digital nightmare of sorts, uh, trying to kind of figure all of that out. But I think a lot of people have lived through that as well. And so it's not as uncommon as we, we may hope, right? I think less common is actually a smooth transition process. Uh, yeah, uh, I think it's a one, one of the things I mentioned before is leadership needs to be fully involved. Another thing is planning. Like it still goes back to like those thoughts that weave through this whole process. Uh, you mm -hmm. always have to have a plan. So we've, when we, when we haven't finished, you know, haven't signed the final docs yet, like three we had an estimated closing date and like three months before we started planning for this event. What if, what if it's going to happen? What are we going to do? How are processes mm -hmm. are going to change? At least for myself, um, I started doing that. Um, because basically as Alex mentioned, we grew by about 50%. So everything we have done pre-acquisition, like we're now re-engineering and incorporating new thing. Um, just because it no longer works properly or uh, we, you know, we have to update it and we have to innovate of how we do certain things and maintain information because a small group of people maintains information a certain way, a larger group of people needs a mm -hmm. lot more process to be put around that. Um, so like the tactical, on a tactical side, right? Some of the challenges is you're absolutely right. Uh, people, um, People from another organization are coming in with their own standards and their own ideas about how to um, how to do certain things and also how to service clients, right? Or how to deliver projects. So right. I think initially our plan has always been, look, we want to have the least possible interruption uh, to what the client service delivery looks like. Um, so I think that's very important too, is it doesn't necessarily matter what the process on their side is, we need to maintain that process at least temporarily for X amount of time. And we can say mm -hmm. whatever, three months, six months, a month, depending on how long that those projects take to deliver. Obviously in our case, the life, the life cycle is shorter, but you know, if there's a two year project, those clients are already used to the way that project gets delivered. So you want to make sure you maintain, um, that side of it, right? So the, the, Company that's being acquired needs to maintain their processes on, on that side. And then you can mm -hmm. slowly migrate um, to using your processes or combining the processes. Like we have mm -hmm. 
as I mentioned before, I kind of lead, lead from a standpoint of asking people for input. So we actually implemented quite a few things that, you know, the other company, um, was using and we were not either aware of or were not using before. Um, mm -hmm. but they, you know, they brought that in and I was like, look, yeah, this is going to make our lives a lot easier. Let's, let's put this in and let's, let's get going. Take the best of both worlds. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the, right. I mean, in, from my perspective, that's the only way to do it. Well, and that gives everybody ownership at some level, right? It's like, well, you take the best from here. You take the best from here. You combine that. We're even better together now. We made something that we couldn't have made before out of the best parts of both of these things. I think that's that's really strong, and that's a great great thing to shoot for. And understanding that those opportunities exist from both sides of this equation. I want to add a couple things up if I may. Um, one is having a plan in place is key, and we keep harping on this, but like, all right, you got to like bring in your partners into this, right? Um, in other words, if you're an IT partner, right, you're an architect, you're buying another architecture company, they use Revit, you use something else. Mm -hmm. Well, there's technical aspect to mm -hmm. this. So your plan can say, well, we're going to migrate to Revit. We wanted to do it anyway, so we're just going to go ahead and grab Revit and use you, you, you use their license and just expand. right? And then, okay, let's just say, like, we'll just put finger out there and say, oh, it's going to take three months. Well, you need to bring in your IT partners. You need to explain the scope and you need to actually have a plan in place where your IT partners will tell you, will give you information on how long it's going to take and the effort it's going to require and a retraining and, and all that is involved. And that's the same thing for accounting. Don't, you know, don't, don't think accounting is that, you know, that changes too. They're using QuickBooks online, using QuickBooks. You think, oh, it's just QuickBooks. No, it's not. It's QuickBooks online. It's a different freaking animal than QuickBooks. We've learned that. Um, I've learned that. Um, there's also brand piece. Okay, so brand piece, bringing your marketing people as a smaller companies, you don't have marketing people, might be a good good to buy dinner for your friend who's in marketing. Mm. Uh, it's a great idea to run things by him. Again, put that into the plan. Mm -hmm. And the plan is, I'm gonna just give some meat on the bone. Okay, you want meat? I'll give you meat. So sunsetting the brand is key. Okay, so you're buying another company. The obsessive thing we all need to think about is well-being, in continuity for the clients. Yeah. And, and perception, you right? Mess with that. that communication, that perception is is a huge piece of the positive outcomes coming to fruition because they're they are your livelihood, right? Absolutely. And that's how you're gonna find is that that's what you did in the first place. Um and so so be obsessed about continuity and quality product delivery, service delivery to those clients you're buying. Mm -hmm. And you know, take them to dinner, have conversations. You know, don't be afraid to spend your own time. This is important. Invest, 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 invest in that. Finally, say we all gonna want to put our little shingle on that building and say, oh, it's now, it's now us. You know, we're we're so good. We're we're buying companies. I'd say hold off on that. Um, have a plan to sunset the brand you acquire. And my plan is uh, very very simple. Like it's a three step process. First, you don't do nothing. That company remains this company. The name remains the name. And the new client's going to knock on that door. Now, you get still, you already integrated and still have a service delivery that's through your company, but there's a shingle in name because you don't want to mess with all of the uh, gains they've made over the years, right? All of the marketing, all of the relationships they've built. Don't do that just yet. So I'd say six to 12 months, 
just keep that uh, operate the storefront as if it's them, even though you are fully integrated, mm. right? Uh, on the back end, makes sense. Yeah, Kevin? totally. Next step is add a little byline. So still keep it them. You may want to do some website redesign. You may want to do some building redesign, whatever. But it's you know it's X company by your company. So you you start to introduce that you're part of this or part of this group or you know how companies say do this right. So you know John's Architecture, a you know. Uh, Rappaport company, mm -hmm. right? Let's say you are the Rappaport company. So, so that's how it works. And then finally, finally, the third phase of transition is now you bring it into your fold completely. Um, and that may not even be necessary, to be honest with you. But typically after two years or so, year and a half, everybody already knows this. You know, you got the momentum. You can just, there's technical side of this, right? You can, you can forward all the URL, like a website URL to your website, and just ingest it completely. At you know, two years from now, it should be, should be okay. But that's the brand transition. Um, yeah. In in sort of like highlight. I think what we're used to seeing, at least on the tech side of things, is these giant companies swallowing up smaller companies, and and an email goes out, and the website shuts down. Those people have been consumed into the mothership, and it's like it just looks like it happened like that from on the outside, right? And obviously, that's not what's been going on on the inside for a while. But the perception is. This thing, this service that I relied on is gone. It shut down. Or Google had this service that I've been using for 10 years and they just shut it down because it wasn't working for them anymore because it, it wasn't providing the ad revenue that they needed to keep, keep it going, right? And so I think what you're, you're painting a very different picture there of a service industry that we operate within as architects and engineers and IT professionals. You're providing a service, the timelines, should be longer. Don't look at the at what happens, at least our perception of what happens in tech as the model here. This is a, a different timeline to be looking at. I think it's great that you actually pointed that out because this is based on relationships, right? The, the whole service industry that we're a part of is based on those relationships and it does take handholding and it does take kind of crafting and, and doling out these these bits of the breadcrumb trail over a period of time so that it's really digestible by everybody, it doesn't take people by surprise, then it doesn't cause fear. And that's a that's an important part of the strategy of of the overall MA process. For sure. It is for sure an important part because if you jerk things around, you will end up with less than you than, than you originally mm. wanted. Well, what are we missing here? What what piece of the story, what piece of the puzzle have we not touched on? Is there anything that you want to throw in here at the as we wrap up this episode? I, I it's incredibly amazing that you guys are sharing this information with everybody because like Alex, you talked about that book being kind of a masterclass. I mean, this is just this could be transformative for people's businesses. Uh, this could be the kind of information that you're sharing is is it i i love that you're doing it it's a resource that people can use for a very long time and so i really appreciate you both taking the time to put this together and tell this story to the audience and obviously this I, my hope is this goes way beyond the audience that this episode gets shared with firm leadership who don't listen to this podcast and people who because even if it's not something that they're considering it's really educational and it's the kind of thing that 
could be an option in the future if it's not right now. And so this is my, my goal with this whole show is to create, put these conversations that people have, you know, around a table in a room out to everybody and, and make it a resource for all. So I appreciate you doing that. And I just want to make sure that we didn't miss anything in our conversation that needs to get out there in this episode. I want to add, I want to say two things. One, one is if you are a future leader in the organization and you find out that your organization is buying another company or your organization is being sold company, I'd say if you want to move your career forward and if you like the company you're working with or for, I'd say like volunteer to help. Volunteer to help. Stand up and raise your hand and say, hey, I know Revit. I know this. I know that. I know, you know, most of our clients. I can help with X, Y, Z. And don't just ask once and expect your leadership to just embrace you and say yes constantly because they have other things they worry mm -hmm. about. They, 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 their plan may be not calling for anybody internally to help. Anyone. Whatever the case is, I'd say if you want to build your career and become indispensable in your organization and future leader in your organization, step up. And once you find out the acquisition, don't resist, offer your help and offer it often. Okay. Um, that's that's one, one thing. From a leadership perspective, fork out before you do anything. Um, you know, we consider buying companies. Fork out part of your business plan and say, what if we acquire? How does that going to look like? So you don't have to like create an elaborate uh, Excel models, mm -hmm. but do map it out in your brain and write it. And and so, and start talking about it. Then it will happen. So those are the two pieces. Any last thoughts from you, Boris, before we wrap it up here? Uh, I, I'm just going to say, yeah, be open to the idea, right? And plan on, you know, make that a part of a strategic discussion uh, when you have you know, your strategic offsides or however you're doing strategic planning and the firm, uh, have it as part of strategic discussions and really look at it as an, as a realistic avenue for growth. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, again, thank you both for taking the time to share this information. This, in, I, again, my hope is that this is a resource for people out there. I know that's your goal with it as well. It's not just to show how cool you are at ArcIT, having gone through this process, but it, there's a learning opportunity for, for everyone out there in the service industry that this is an option. Uh, there's some people who want to potentially be acquired. There are other companies who want to do the acquiring. And I think uh, that audience, I, I'm hoping, hears this message. So thanks, guys, for taking the time today. And we'll put links to the book, to ArcIT, to both of your LinkedIn profiles in the show notes. And uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Fantastic show, Evan. Thank you very much. And everyone, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Evan. Thank you for having us. Have a great day. Thanks to our sponsors and thanks to our members this week. Find out how you can become a member at trxl.co. And I'll talk to you again next week.